eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED lights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Seasons change. Why not your tech? Upgrade now during the Dell Technology Sale event and save on select PCs like the XPS 16, powered by Intel Core processors. You'll be able to bring your most intensive projects to life with a built-in AI, minimalistic design, immersive visuals, and cinematic audio. When you shop online at dell.com forward slash deals, you'll have access to the exceptional tech and electronics, plus free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at dell.com forward slash deals. That's dell.com forward slash deals. This is the Ed Milet Show. Well, welcome back to the program, everybody. Just curious, do you have any interest in ever like building a company you could sell for around a billion dollars? Any of you? Does that sound interesting to you? Because if it does, I have one of the few people on earth who in the last decade or so has actually done that and is one of the top entrepreneurs on the planet. She's a friend of mine. But what's extra special is her ability to articulate the details and tactics that are required to build something special makes her very unique. She's somebody you're going to want to follow on social media, and she's someone you're going to learn a great deal from today. So Cindy Ecker, thank you for being here today. That's a hell of an introduction, Ed. And actually, when you asked if there's anyone who wants to sell their business for a billion dollars, I raised my hand too. I'm, I'm willing to do it again. You want to do it again? <laughs> yeah, I am willing it. to do it with you, as I told you let's before we it. started. So let me know. <laughs> I'm willing to do it too. So um, what I, there's so much to your story, and I know it. I'm going to pretend to not know some things today so I can ask some questions. But there's so much, and we have limited time. So I kind of want to jump a little bit in the middle, sort of, Okay. When we start, and I, we're just guys, we're going to go through so many different keys. Her story is going to blow you away. If you're on audio, you're missing her customary pink outfit today, which is a part of her brand, which is something we will discuss today. Uh, if you're on YouTube watching this, obviously you can see this. So, all right, let's talk for a minute. So you worked for kind of a big company for a while. Yep. Then you went smaller, then you went smaller. Then you did your own. And I think there's a lot of people out there in the corporate world listening to this right now that have that entrepreneurial itch, that thing. Yes. And I don't think they realize you're sort of getting paid to learn right now if you're at a big firm, hopefully learning some things. So discuss that journey from the big company a little bit to the startup phase of your life. Absolutely. So look, I think I was conditioned very conventionally, right? When I got out of school, I needed to work for Fortune's most admired company. Like I actually explicitly picked the company I wanted to work for because they were Fortune's most admired company, thinking I'll get the best training and I can go in there and I can climb the ladder. And I think that, you know, I talked to a lot of students today and I say, don't treat your don't treat your career like a ladder. Treat it like a jungle gym mm. and swing toward those things that are going to stretch you, that are going to excite you. It, I lucked out that while I was there, not only was I recognizing that I was number 
you know, 4,345 from an employee and nobody was listening to all of my great ideas, Ed. Um, and I had a big brother who it was the moment in time of the dot-com kind of boom in tech. And he went to this mysterious thing called a startup. I had never heard of such a thing before. And I'm watching my big brother who's constantly changing his job. Like every six months, he has more responsibility in this business. And I'm thinking, wow, like he's never done that before. He's getting to do that. And he has this crazy thing called equity or, you know, skin in the game. And I'm like, they listen to my brother. He constantly gets to try new things and he's going to get a piece of this. What is this special place? And really that informed my decision. I got a chance. They went public. Uh, You know, it was the the thing to do in the early 90s. Uh, It is again. um, That's the trend. But when they went public, I got a chance to participate in friends and family. I had no money. (laughs) No, no money. Um, So I thought, you know, I saved everything. I ate rice for a whole year. Like I paid a buck for lunch every day for a year. I'm saving like every little nickel and dime I can. I still don't have much money to put in, but they like felt sorry for the little sister and let me do it. And I made 4X my money that time. And I was like, bye. Wow. Bye corporate. Bye. What is this thing? And I basically started the, the chase for more responsibility, places where I would be heard, and skin in the game. And so I went to a company that was, I laughed today, it was hardly a startup, there were 400 people at it, but I had stock options and that met that criteria. And that was the begin of that chase to finally, where I was learning to your point in all those environments, often things that you never wanna do, right? You learn too. It basically, I paid my dues long enough that I thought, you know what? I can do this. Yeah. I can do this. Do you think everyone, so it's really interesting. It sounds to me like you kind of chase this corporate dream. It really, you weren't being educated necessarily to go become an entrepreneur. It's the stuff with learning about your brother and the equity and all these other things. I'm, I'm interested to know your insight on this because my answers have changed over time. And I don't even know what I believe anymore. Do you yeah. think everybody should be an entrepreneur at some point in their life? Or do you think there's a particular proclivity tolerance for stress and chaos in somebody that not everybody has. Oh, I think it's the latter. I don't think everybody has it. It's not like, by the way, that's not bad. Right. That's just being self-aware. And I think unless you have that DNA of insatiable curiosity and really extreme risk tolerance, you will be miserable. Mm. By the way, that even includes people who come work for me. It is a final step in my interviewing process I really sit down and I'm like, okay, all the cards on the table. This is my responsibility. I'm going to tell you exactly what this environment is going to be like. And you can sit here right now and say to me, I'm out. Like, no, there's no way because we don't, you know, I don't want them to make a decision where they're going to be unhappy. I don't want to be unhappy because they didn't fit. And I really do think there's something about the pace with which you move as an entrepreneur and that willingness to ride the roller coaster and put your hands in the air that not everybody enjoys. Do you think so? And we're going to go to where you went and what happened in a second. But do you think the thing you said about skin in the game, though, I don't think you have to necessarily be entrepreneurial to get skin in the game. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about that for a minute. Do you believe in even in your business now, finding someone who's not got that risk tolerance, they're not entrepreneurial, but you need them in your company 
Are you, a, are you sort of delving out a little bit of the skin in the game to people in your own businesses? And do you believe that people that may not have that spirit should still be looking for it? Ed, this will be the most important thing for everybody listening to this right now. This is my success factor. I got to selling two businesses the last $4 billion because everyone who came on the ride with me got skin in the game. That is absolutely the most important thing you can do as a leader, be it, you know, building whatever company you're building, people who come and work alongside of you, give them a piece of it. They will make decisions differently. They are owners of the destiny. They wake up earlier. They go to bed later. They spend your money, the, co the company money, like it is their own. And by the way, they also hold all their peers accountable. All of a sudden, you're in an environment in which it's not you know, me sort of looking down, trying to impose that kind of performance. Your peers are looking at you like, hey, man, when we cross this finish line, you're going to have pulled your weight because yes. I own a piece of this. You own a piece of this. And I, I will tell you, I think that has been honestly the single most important thing I've done. Yeah, everybody, I was one of the best piece of advice ever on the show. And when I introed you, I meant what I said. You have this incredible ability to articulate these insights that you can only have if you have her experience. And I totally, by the way, agree with that. And since my first few ventures where I wasn't in control of that, yeah. That's been one of my benchmarks in anything I'm involved with is can I spread the skin around for reasons you said, but you've added to them better than I would have said it. So totally agree. Okay. So, cause there's so much to this woman's brain. I consider her a, a bit of a, I wouldn't call it a prodigy because she's learned these things, but I, I will use the word brilliant. Having watched her speak about these things, I, I will use the word brilliant through experience. And so the things she talks about aren't theoretical. They've been applied and worked. That's what's different from most people you're gonna hear anywhere else. So we're gonna fast forward a little bit and maybe we'll go backwards eventually, I don't know, but we'll fast forward. Just so everybody knows, if you don't know, you're gonna learn about this, but it, it, she ended up being involved in what was sort of a female sexual health product, female version of Viagra ends up being their business. Sprout Pharmaceuticals ends up being sold to these guys for a whole bunch of money. I'll, we'll give you the kicker in a little bit here of what happened after that, but I wanna go into the middle of that journey now. So. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many, I think most people that get into entrepreneurship, Cindy, I think they think, I know I'm going to have roadblocks. I know there's going to be these setbacks. Right. I don't think they're equipped for the literal slam to the pavement. We're out of business, probably moments that are probably inevitable before the breakthrough, right? Like Absolutely. as bad as you think it's going to get, it's, it could get so, so much worse, right? So much worse. So much worse. It's crying in the corner worse. Yes. Right. It really is. Yeah. And you've had a few of those moments. So let's, you end up kind of, she finds this doctor. He's got this unbelievable idea. She buys in. Her heart changes to be this champion for women's sexual health because no one else is really talking about it. It's mission driven, which we'll get to in a minute. But you got this thing rolling. And you're going to probably try to do something now to have someone with a little bit more capital, take it to a different level, maybe exit it, take them through sort of that time in your life. Cause I think this is the, the best story I've ever heard that time in your life. <laughs> oh my God. There's so many of those moments, by the way, with my face being like on the pavement, because at first when I was going through this, I was beholden to the FDA who rejected me, who, by the way, when that came through, they completely controlled my fate. So the business was over. 
except that I decided to fight them. Explain which, this. I, you got to tell them this part of the story because it's unbelievable. Because yeah. it, you literally can't go forward without this FDA approval. For sure. So, so take them through the rejection part of that a little oh, bit. I got to tell you. So, so look, science, you know, scientific pathways are pretty straightforward. You meet specific endpoints, like these are outcomes you've agreed on with the FDA, right? It's geeky science, blah, blah, blah. So I'd done all the work, I'd met all the endpoints, and I'm just sitting here waiting for them to do the review and give me the approval. And so we had a date, there's always a date you're gonna get your acceptance. And, um, and I had happened to fly out, so I was flying in that day. Like my team is sitting in the office, chilling the champagne. Our day is here, we've done all the studies, we've met all these outcomes, like here it comes. And I land in the airport, and my assistant calls me and she says, hey, um, we just got a note from the FDA. We got turned down. It was just like, boom. It, and it, it was so, I couldn't believe I was blindsided, blindsided based on the data. And I sat down in the airport and I really didn't move. And I, and I was just sitting there mostly upset by how many people I just let down. Women I was fighting for, people who'd bet on me and give me money, people who had gone on this ride with me and put blood, sweat, and tears into it as my team. It just was overwhelming. So I got picked myself up. I had to go into the office. I walk into the office and it's like festive, right? Everyone's like walking around. I call everybody around the table and they're like around the table giddy. And I just dropped the bomb. We just got turned down by the FDA go home and work on your resumes. Oh, I mean, it wasn't quite, I was, I was tearful. They were shocked. No one knew what to do. I stood in the office. I waited till every single car was out of the parking lot and I like collapsed in tears. Mm -hmm. And over the course of that weekend, my good fortune is that while I was avoiding all the phone calls, because what was I going to say? What was I going to say to my shareholders? What was I going to say to everybody else? I didn't have any answers. I went back and read all the emails from patients, from women who were struggling with this, who had written me. And I was reminded of the purpose, right? I was reminded why I did this in the first place. And it actually made my, me have complete clarity on what I was going to do. And so on a Monday, so it was a Friday, it was a really bad weekend. Um, on Monday, I called the team back in around the table, very different mood. They're coming up to the table, like waiting to know how many days till, you know, the doors are closing. And I said, we're going to dispute the FDA. I love this. And no one, no one spoke. And my IT guy finally was like, he, he raised his hand and he's <laughs> like, um, can you do that? And I said, we're about to find out. And he literally put pink boxing gloves on my desk the next morning and they sit there to this day. We did the craziest thing. We fought the government for okay. women's sexual pleasure, but it was the difference between me letting everyone down yeah. and letting myself down, by the way, mm -hmm. for not seeing it all the way through, for not taking it to the mat mm -hmm. or really challenging what wasn't just. It's amazing yeah. of all of the decisions, Cindy, you made running that company, day-to-day -day decisions, who to hire, where to deploy capital, what marketing campaign mm -hmm. to do, all of those decisions that a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to those decisions. Sure. It sounds hokey because it, you know, there's a phrase, but it really is true that in our lives, in our moments of deepest decision, our destiny is shaped. It's not corny. And of yeah. all of the decisions, that has to be the most critical decision that you 
arrived at in your career was we're going to fight this because otherwise the doors are closed. People start bailing. Now you're taking water on deck. So that's that. And, and I want everyone to get this lesson. And if you disagree, please tell me. The lesson here is that if you're an entrepreneur and your back's up against the wall, literally in this case, was thrown through the wall. Yeah. You're no longer even in the room. Right. right. Your back was not against the wall. They said, you're now out of the room. This, this place does not exist. Right. The thing that's going to hold you together is your cause, is your crusade, is your mission, is your purpose. That is the thing. It's not going to be your, well, we got this tactical. You'll figure that stuff out. But the, if you're like, I'm almost out right now. If you're listening to this, you better go back to your purpose and your cause. True or false? Yeah. A hundred percent true. And, you know, I didn't go into the full story, but in one of those emails, a woman had seen the news blip that we were rejected and she wrote me and she said, I want to talk to you. And you know what? I would have been willing to talk to anybody, but somebody inside of my company that weekend, because I didn't have any answers. And I thought I'm going to go meet her. And I drove hours to go meet her. And I sat with her and she basically looked at me and said, this is ruining my life struggling with this. And she actually said something to me that has stuck with me to this day. She said, I have succeeded in every aspect of my life other than this. And mm. what I saw is a woman who was struggling with something. She'd raised her hand a million times, asked for help. She had been patted on the shoulder and told her, told like, it's okay, have a glass of wine, have a bubble bath, everything will be fine and dismissed. And she was who I was fighting for. And I really, in that moment was so clear, like I will not let her down. Yeah. And I think your point is so true. If you're on, if you work on something, whatever your business is, there is some driver mm -hmm. at the core, right? In your heart for why you show up, why you pull the sheets off every day and you go get this done. You've got to stay really in touch with that every step of the way. What's amazing is that you've told that story obviously more than once in your life. And yet still, when you tell it, I'm watching you, it impacts you emotionally. It, oh. impacts, it impacts me when you say it. I really think about the gift she gave me mm. in, that, in that moment and really like how much it resonated with me. It, even just, you know, the like human to human here on those moments in which we're struggling with something, right? And, and we need a champion. Yeah. And like, are we going to be the champion for ourselves? I mean, you did an outstanding post I'm a huge fan, obviously, and follow, you know, follow all of your uh, pearls of wisdom on, on social. And you did a post the other day about mental health. Mm -hmm. And I, I loved it. And I loved it because you said, so many of us struggle with things. We don't speak about it because of shame and stigma. Like if we're struggling with something in physical health, no problem. We'll talk about it, right? That's socially acceptable. I'm going to just say to you, sexual health is the other leg of that stool. Mental health, physical health, sexual health, it's so stigmatized. It's embarrassing to bring up if you're struggling. But you know what? It's a huge part of how we are going to move through this life and our happiness and our partner and connection to people. Um, so I, I loved that you posted about that. Thank you. It's interesting you say that. I made another post the other day about I'm going to get this thing wrong. Gosh darn it, I'm going to mess this up. But it's such a critical part of people's lives. And I don't think I've ever had an appreciation for how deeply it affects many women. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know why that's getting me emotional right now, but I made a joke the other day on my social because I was ill and I said, okay, guys, I'm done. I've watched Netflix. And I yeah. said, not just the movie. I think I've watched all of Netflix, right? right? But I started yeah. getting, this is what's interesting, Cindy. I just wanted to tell you, it's more for me and you than anybody else, but I think the audience will, will understand how deeply this is an issue still in our culture. And I'm talking about with women here specifically. 
although of course it affects men, but we hear about that with the Cialis's and the Viagra's and the different treatments they can have and the mental changes and all these treatment centers. And so I start getting all these messages from people recommending shows on Netflix to me. Oh, interesting. And I'm going to mess the name of the show up. Everybody just forgive me, but most of you are going to know what I'm talking about. I received literally over a thousand messages from women. My following is more women than men, ironically saying you got to watch, I think it's called sex life or something like that on Netflix. Uh You know what I'm talking about the show, but it was that man. I started to watch it. It's probably not completely my jam, but I watch it. And it told me how much that the thinking about it, the struggle, the wanting more intimacy, the wanting to be able to want it. Yes. Wanting to want, wanting to want it right. is so prevalent with women in our culture. And so speaking of culture, I'm curious for you, how big a part in getting, by the way, spoiler alert, we'll get there. She ends up getting approval. She ends up selling this thing for a gargantuan chunk of change. Lots of people benefited from it. And there's another kicker coming in a minute that's going to blow your mind. But you had to build something special. It wasn't just the cause. It wasn't just that the product could be effective. It was also some other elements. I want to pick those apart. Culture. Like, does everyone in that company bleed pink like you do in terms of the mission? And how did you get them to do that? Oh, unbelievably. I have a, a, a joke that sometimes we go up the elevator, you know, with other people in our bu- in, in our building and they're like, do you all have to wear pink? <laughs> and I was in the elevator one time with a group of my team and like they were asking the team, like more or less, does this woman make you all wear pink? And they're like, no, like pink is who we are. I mean, pink is representative to us, emblematic, if you will, of everything that we're about, right? Power in the hands of women. And I think for me, pink was born out of a lot of stereotype and and misconception, right? I reject the notion that pink or femininity is weakness. I think it is a strength in the in the boardroom and i think that perspective is a, an important one so i think it is about the mission it's about picking people when they come in to interview who i think you know let, let's face it i think for anybody listening if you've built an organization you're building a team probably by the time they get to your desk like they're abundantly qualified right for this position mm-hmm. it's really the it, that it factor right? Of are they so emotionally connected to this mission? Like, do they really, is that what's going to drive them um, on this? And I I think, you know, I've been so fortunate to be surrounded by the most incredible people. When we started, we didn't say like, hey, you know, let's get a billion dollar product to the market. We started by saying, we are going to change the conversation about women and sex forever. forever, forever. We're going to be that group that changes it. And that's what we did. And, you know, to your point, there are 26, 26 FDA approved drugs for some form of male sexual dysfunction. We were the first ever for women. So amazing. By the way, when we broke through, there was no such thing as a category called femtech. So what's femtech, you know, products that uniquely uh, impact women and uh, no, no such um, such category. It was coined the year after we were approved in the next 48 months. Guess how big a category it's going to be? Mm. 50 billion. Wow. Wow. (laughs) You tell me there wasn't an unmet need sitting there and latent demand. And I'm so proud of that revolution. And that's what drove my team. That piece of the revolution is really the product was 
fabulous and it's very important, but it was more about that cultural shift and breakthrough that really, uh, I think drove everything we did. You're amazing. I just think you're amazing. I've learned a lot from you. And, um, I've thought a lot about that first talk I saw you give and I, where am I not doing some of these things in my company and in my business? And I think the cause thing, I want to dig a little deeper because you are the first person who I've ever heard say it this particular way, which is that your whole business stems from the customer yeah. to a degree to someone I've talked to in a lot of businesses to a degree that you are obsessed with them in a healthy way, in a loving way. In other words, I feel like there was a love for your customer that caused you to have a healthy, beautiful obsession with them that drove all of your decisions. And I don't think anyone in the entrepreneur space speaks about this as well as you do. So let's hear from you about that whole concept. If that's not what drives you, the profits will never come, right? People then profit. Like how do you focus in so intently on your customer, customer obsession to your point. And for me in in that case, like, listen, that was the whole sort of courage, if you will, of making that pinnacle decision in the business was informed by somebody who was the customer in essence and being able to sit down with her and have a cup of coffee and talk it through. And I think, you know, over the course of the years, it delights me to sit down and like, I love to answer our customer service line. Like, I love it. I can't, first of all, I can't sit in an office. Like I'm always wandering. I want to be, I want to know what's going on. And, you know, I love to sit down and, and answer it because if you're not listening to your end user, you are not making the shifts in your business or amping up the things that are working so successfully. Right. And uh, I, I tease, there's a woman who's been with me for, for years now and run my customer, three companies later, she runs uh, my customer service group. Her name is Chrissy. And I, and I do sort of laugh because Chrissy will look at me like, I'll sit there for a while and she'll be like, you're not that good at this. Like, move <laughs> like she, she really? teases, oh, my team's <laughs> taking back, my team's taking back. We're like, spending too much time that you're doing whatever. But um, I think that that piece of it, and I think that's again, culture. I think is in essence what you're talking about. And what we talked about so much, you know, when we were last together is how do you build a culture in which you're the leader, you're setting that tone. And my tone has always been, um, you know, customer first, culture first. Mm -hmm. And even to the extent of when I hire, like how do you hire against the choices that you believe people will have to make to thrive in your organization? How do you feel about firing? hire against it, fire against it, incentivize for it. I mean, I say there are six choices you have to make to come work for me. That is what I talk about in every interview. Um, That is what I'm looking for, that it factor. And, And by the way, like I also hold everyone to accountable to that because you would be doing a disservice to those in your culture if somebody is a misfit. Um, what are so, some of those six, Cindy? What are some of those six? Um, so the, the first choice, the foundational choice is you got to choose to be an owner. And look, I'm going to be part of that. My commitment to you is I'm going to give you a piece of this. Wow. You are going to own a piece of our destiny, right? But ownership takes many forms, including accountability. I own the successes and the failures equally. So it's an ownership kind of mindedness to it. Um, you got to choose to be bold. I mean, the fortune favors the bull. That's that's a that's a true statement. You got to choose to be quirky. What do I mean by that? Such a weird one. Quirky, I think, is about choosing to show up as your authentic self and having created an environment, by the way, that celebrates that. Think about it. Like so many cultures are like, this is our way. 
we're this, we're this process. And I know you have to have processes, but actually as soon as you beat the individuality out of people, you more, you basically homogenize and, and lessen your, lessen your chance for success. So I, the learning, learning family and appreciative are my final three, you know, as a group, I mean, we have like, we have weird definitions of fun. Um, I, when we do, you know, meetings together as a company, we just go learn from other companies. What do you mean I by mean, that? So, you know, when I first built customer service for an example in this, you know, knowing like customers are going to drive our every decision. I looked around in my industry and I thought, well, you know what healthcare companies are not known for customer service. So I didn't really have a peer who's like a CEO. I could go, Hmm, can I go learn? And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go learn from um, Tony Shu at Zappos. And I flew the whole company there. Good pick. Every employee went and learned at Zappos. Very and like that, that's such a big piece of it. And I think we're totally familial, but I think appreciative is, is shouldn't be overlooked. And I think that is a choice for all of us, right? I think that's a, a life choice. You show up with an attitude of gratitude. And even in our darkest moments, Ed, and I think there were lots of those moments in which we probably weren't going to succeed. Mm. We would sit back. And I think rather than dwell on the darkness, we would be what's, awestruck with gratitude for what we were trying to accomplish. Gosh. <laughs> Every once in a while, we do a show, and I start getting messages saying, "People go, I should have paid you for the show." <laughs> like I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like I almost want to charge everybody right now. <laughs> I mean, I do, but I don't. You know, I want to go to two of those things you said. I just, you guys, having had a very long entrepreneurial entrepreneurial journey myself, when I hear brilliant truth, I just want I do everything I can to go stamp this. Please, if you're an entrepreneur or thinking about being an entrepreneur, or no, if you know one, share it with them. This is one of these you listen or watch more than one time. I'm just telling you. But the two middle ones there, the appreciative part, brilliant, obviously. The bold part. Yeah. Almost nobody tells people that when they hire them. Almost nobody does. Okay. And the quirky part, I love. You do a little thing with the quirky thing. You create a culture. Don't you like nickname everybody or something like that? Like that's quirky to me and it's cool. And, it, and that helps people express the the, the extreme parts of their personality, are, uh, the, the parts they usually conceal from people that really connect you with people to get to them to express yeah. when you tell them to be quirky and express themselves. But you do the nickname it's, thing. Listen, right? I'm such a, it really is my quirk. I've nicknamed people from the time I'm really little. Um, I, I love to throw nicknames around. And so, you know, when I started building organizations, I nicknamed everybody. And it became our own internal language. By the way, my mom worked for me in my very first company and her nickname was Two Cent. Cause you know, moms love to put their two cents in for everybody. But what I would have never expected in my wildest imagination is that a rap persona developed from this. And my mom would show up in like gold chains rapping to, for my sales meetings. And my you know nieces and nephews would be like, what happened, what happened to Lulu? Um, but look, I think the, the, the beauty of me being me and nicknaming people and sharing one of my quirks with everyone else is that it bonded us in a way that even if, and I have a lot of salespeople, right? They very rarely will be in the home office. When they meet somebody, they already know something about them. 
they know their story because we have talked about them, you know, for all this time on Slack and they know the funny of that story that be, was the basis of the nickname. And we're so, I think, really connected in that way. I have to make one point on your the bold and not telling people to be bold. That's such a mistake. Yep. Right. To not tell people to take the shot, to take the bold action. The worst version is for us to force people into like, oh, I have to make one perfect decision, one perfect decision, as opposed to what if you were to make five decisions, right? Three of them are, yes. but two of them were really good. And that means you're way ahead of the game because you basically gave that. My very favorite business story is about Southwest Airlines. Okay. I don't know if I shared this when we were together. Oh. I love this. Probably everybody who's listening has flown Southwest and maybe this is folklore. But, but when they came out, think about this as an airline, they were totally disruptive in an industry yes. that was very stodgy, conservative, safety was the most important, and they were gonna be fun, yeah. fun? Yeah. That's a bold idea, right? An airline is gonna be fun. But Herb Kelleher was so clear in that vision that he basically empowered everybody to make jokes. And on one of their very early flights, flight attendant came on and said, in the case of a water landing, we'll be serving Mai Tais off the right wing. <laughs> well, you know, there's a passenger flying Southwest for the first time going, what? And they write their strongly worded note, like this is not professional. When people are, you know, afraid of flying, blah, blah, blah. And the legend goes that that, you know, came into Southwest and as it does, it went all the way up to the desk of the CEO. And you know the classic response. It would be, you know, dear so-and-so, we're so very sorry. We spoke with He wrote back on his letterhead three words. We'll miss you. Wow. Wow. That's bold. No, that I have not heard bold. that story. That's bold. But you know what's so great about that is he knew exactly who he was going to be. Hmm. He knew he would never be for that customer but he was going to be that for millions of others. Gotcha. And I think that's about what do you, you don't compromise ever who you wanna be. And that in and of itself is a boldness and a courage, I think in, in how you wanna show up in this world. Early in my career mistake I made, I just wanna share with the audience because I, I, you probably didn't do this. Number one, if you're gonna tell people to be bold, you better have their back, which is what you're saying that old Herb did there. Yes. You have their back, right? That's right. And I think the other part of the culture you have to create, and I didn't do this well when I was young. I was too intense. I was too hard on people publicly. Mm -hmm. And that I think eventually people lost the belief that I had their back. And oh. so the more I was hard on people publicly, the less they were willing to be bold because they may get some sort of repercussions from me. And yeah. so also as a leader, if you're going to create that bold environment, these people need to believe, like Herb in that story, really believe they had your back. That's something I really changed as I went into my late 20s and early 30s. And I'm just wondering now, in hindsight, after you just told that story, I wonder if that's why so many of my supposed business successes took place around those times oh, as I stopped nice. doing that. Does yeah. that make any sense? You know, those really intense driving leaders, yes. sometimes that intense environment can cross over into that person doesn't have my back. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, that's absolutely right. I think that's an awesome observation. When people make crazy, bold decisions, even when they go wrong, I mean, they're part of company folklore, right? You, gotta, <laughs> you don't need to talk about them at the meetings yes. because if, if nothing else, like, again, I think 
having a sense of humor yeah, along the way in everything matters. It matters. You, there are things that are going to go sideways. They are not going to go right. And you really have to know that that is not going to defeat you. Huge thing. I was just going to say what I learned from you. And the more I've listened to you and I've thought about, okay, what do you have in common with these other CEOs that I know? More and more, humor's part of their game. Oh, yeah. More and more, I'm serious, more and more humor. There's that old school driver, leader, curmudgeon CEO thing that does not play a lot anymore. Uh-uh. And the, the humor things. Another thing I learned from you, I just want to share the others that I learned from you. Because I am an intense guy, and I think that if you're somebody that's that way and you, one thing you do that was just a very simple thing you did that I've started to do in a couple of my different businesses now is you said to me, it was so basic. You, you think, cause when you're an entrepreneur, you're looking for inches, right? Cause sure, of inches at this level. And you said you basically had lunch every day with the team in the boardroom. Like you just be in there. And I went, yep. I don't do that. I, I close the door and have lunch. And that may sound silly cause I wanted to work through lunch, but I missed hundreds of opportunities to yeah. bond, create culture, quirkiness, all these other things that you described, something that simple made a difference for me. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. We still have it. We call it the glass table. It's technically metal today, but we started out in my very first company with this, you know, pretty small, like rectangular glass table. I mean, there were three of us. <laughs> we had lunch together, but over the years, I mean, it has looked like the last supper, like my table's the longest thing you've ever seen, but we still sit down every day together as a team. And the the glass table not only gets us all on the same page, we have absolute transparency in the company because everyone's always talking about exactly where we're at, right? Nothing is ever missed, um, but it is really like, we'll, we do that for part of the time, but it's not all business. We also, of course, have to chat, you know, solve the dilemmas of reality television the night before. And well, then you I, get no, different I, insights I, I learned, into- I, I learned li- I, these things aren't little, they're huge when you, they're holes in your game as an entrepreneur. That's why when you're listening to this, by the way, maybe you're not even an entrepreneur, maybe you're a school teacher listening to this. A lot of these principles apply to being a better school teacher if you're listening to it. Okay, so spoiler alert, because I want to get to a lot of your principles too. Spoiler alert, she, do- she sells this thing for a ton of cheddar. Yeah. What's most incredible is- what happens after this without getting into a lot of the details, but tell them kind of where you are and not, we're going to get to the incubator stuff. Yeah. Right yeah. Tell them where you are now and what happened after the sale of this company. Cause this is all timer guys. This is an all timer, all timer, all timer. You do a B type exit like she had and not that long later, tell them what happened. Oh my gosh. So I sold it for a billion dollars in cash up front and then they never launched it. So if this is not like the case study for there is no such thing as a um, happy ending unless you create it, (laughs) this is it, which seems apropos for the story. And I just, I got to tell you, I went from fighting 26 drugs for men, one finally across the finish line for women, women who deserve this forever and need it, have access to it, to nothing. This was again that moment of, am I going to let everyone down? Not on my watch. And so I ended up going back to the company and I said, you haven't launched it, give it back. And the first, the first conversation, <laughs> which was a breakfast meeting in New York, their CEO, who's a, who's a nice guy, and by the way, was a new CEO from the one who'd purchased it from me. He said, 
we paid you a billion dollars in cash for it. And I said, I know this is a lot of value. I'm like, I'm glad you know that because so too to my shareholders. And so ultimately the punchline of the story is I made them pay attention. They weren't doing the things they had committed to do in the deal contractually. And in exchange for me not seeking action, they gave it back to me and we kept the billion dollars and we invested today in other uh, female disruptors. <laughs> so that's you know, just hearing it, she just said, she sold this thing for a billion dollars. She got it back for a ham sandwich. <laughs> and she has it right now. And she's going to be the one to take the mission to its final fulfillment now. It's an unbelievable story. And by the way, let a little thing I learned, I'll get too detailed because it's a private thing. Little thing I learned is when you have an exit, if you're an entrepreneur, write some stuff in that sucker that makes them deliver on some benchmarks so that they have to perform or you can get it back, right? Everyone, everyone, everyone who's ever going to sell a business, when you sell a business, you are going to most likely get some money up front and you're going to get a back end. It may be royalties, milestone payments, whatever that is. That back end, I promise you, in a standard legal document is going to be governed by, quote, best efforts, a best efforts clause. You know what you're going to think as a founder, as soon as somebody else takes over your baby, you're going to think your best efforts are not my best efforts. And so I'm really unhappy because you're not maximizing the potential of this asset. So really, you get smarter as you go along, right? Ed, I sold my first business, best efforts clause. This business for a billion dollars, really specific things. How many salespeople would they have? What kind of marketing budget would they have? And again, it wasn't extraordinary asks. It was what was required to launch this brand. But when they didn't do it, I had leverage. I love it. It also protects the people that you feel in your heart and mind you're leaving behind that are going to stay when you ultimately might leave everybody. So. I learned, I've learned so much. I just, and by the way, it's just a, your treasure chest of information. All right, let's talk, uh, let's talk female entrepreneurs for a minute, entrepreneurship in general. So pink ceiling, the pink incubator. She is now, I, I don't call it an angel investor because that's not exactly the term I would use, but she is now investing in female entrepreneurs on a pretty regular basis now. She's got several in her portfolio. And I'm curious, This the basic question first, what do you look for to where you're willing to part with some of your capital to back somebody. What I'm an entrepreneur right now. Maybe I'm a female entrepreneur. I'm listening to this. What does someone with all of your knowledge base look for in an entrepreneur that you want to believe in? Yeah. Okay. So first I'll tell you a little bit about the pinky baiter. I'm looking for disruption. I'm looking for those people taking big swings at firsts. I like first, and they're the ones that are hardest to get people to bet on. I know, having built it that way, right? So first and often things that are gonna really change the social conversation. So those are that's my love, and my love is in health and wellness. But when I'm looking at an investment, I gotta tell you, I'm looking at the person. That's it. I'm looking at that entrepreneur, right? They may have great ideas. I see great ideas walk into my office every day but you know what? Great ideas don't execute themselves. True. People execute great ideas. So who is that person and how are they wired? And I think one of the things I value so much beyond that resilience, right? Beyond that ability to get back up when you're, uh, when you're knocked down is curiosity. Can I tell you the two things that are the most underrated characteristics? And actually, I think they're very intertwined. Curiosity and humility. That curiosity, that willingness to, con- like, 
I want to know, is that, is that something better? To your point, it's inches, right? I want to understand that technique. I want to go learn this. If I know by stories that people tell me, if they have been wired with this from a really young age, and those people will be wildly, the most successful people I know, like you, Ed, are inherently curious. And there's a humility to it, right? We have a really pretty profound arrogance right now in, in, in entrepreneurship, right? It's become cool. It's actually pretty cool to be an entrepreneur. It's sexy. It's not like I think when we both started and everyone looked at you and said, are you insane? Like back at, you know, nowadays you start and you start to win awards before you've ever executed. That doesn't work. So that humility is actually what's going to allow you to pivot when you have to, to take the constructive advice, to feel the sense of obligation that when somebody wrote you a check, that was their kid's college fund, that was their parents' long-term care, and you have an obligation to be a good steward of that and actually pay them back and then some. I look for that in my friends. Yeah. Curiosity and humility are interesting yeah. people and great to be around. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be around sure. super arrogant people that every conversation's about them and I don't want that. And I also don't want the same conversation every single time. I want people that are curious and learning yeah. and sharing things with me. And so- well, can I tell you, I have to tell you a story, Ed, about this. So this yeah. was like a great, I don't know, like an eye-opening moment for me, even in this. My very first company had a product that was like an in-office procedure. So there was a, a technique to doing it. And we would film like all these surgeons doing their respective techniques. And we would use it for education. If I got to like the tier B surgeons, right? And I would show them other people's techniques. They would be like, oh. That's wrong. Oh, no. But if I went to the top people in the field, the tier A++++, I would show them videos of other people. They'd be like, oh my God, what's that? Oh, I never thought of that. Oh, I'm going to try that. That is the difference between A plus and B minus. Oh my gosh, that's so true. <laughs> it's so true. I have to tell you, you're making me think about things I haven't really thought about in a while, but you know, when I do my private coaching, I don't, I'm really picky nowadays about who I'll do this with, but I've been blessed to do it with, you know, some really well-known and influential people. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me that you said it the way you did, because compared to say 10 years ago, when I was working with somewhat influential people yeah. compared to the real leaders that, you know, some have led countries or, you know, big businesses yeah. or entertainers, or whatever, the more prominent they are, they show up with their notes out and a pen and are leaning in and writing. And these are the people you would think that need me the least Yes, are the most yes. curious, the most inquisitive, ask the most follow-up questions are the most detailed, send the follow-up email with, I thought about what you said. And, and whereas <laughs> 10 years ago, I got very little of that. I'd get people on calls kind of with their hands here, kind of nodding. Yeah. Because of the difference between the B and that elite level is so true. Oh my gosh, that's true. Very good. Got to get to that. When anybody's looking at a pitch, um, get to that. Like get to that curiosity and how, how early that showed up. Has it been worth it? Has it been worth it? All you've been through, all the ups and downs, the work, the things you sacrificed, by the way. For sure. You mean social life, family life, personal no life, personal all life. those things. Yeah. Uh, has it been worth it? I think that's a, a, a valid question to ask somebody. I wouldn't change a thing. But again, I think that's about, you know, inherently being grateful. How lucky am I? Right. This is what I say to myself every day. How lucky am I? 
how lucky am I to sit here and have people with unbelievable ideas want to share them with me? How lucky am I to be sitting here talking to Ed Milet? All of that. But is there sacrifice for sure? For sure. Like I, I worked every hour of every day on this and on my baby. And like, I didn't have a social life. Um, I tease my, um, I'm, I'm engaged now, but when I started dating, it was after I'd sold my business and, um, and I've lived in Raleigh for 10 plus years at that point. And he would ask me out like on dates and say, have you ever been to this restaurant? No. Mm-hmm. Ever been? No. Have you ever? And I think by like the third or fourth one, he was like, when did you move here again? 10 years ago. And he loves to say to me, even to this day, welcome to your city. And, and I think, look, you know, that was, it's not that that wasn't at moments very painful, right? And lonely in, in going through that. But in the end, no, I'm so, I'm so fortunate for everything. And, and most of all, I think I'm fortunate for the multiplier effect of ownership. For all those people who I gave skin in the game, to watch what that has done in their lives, to watch this is how they make decisions differently, um, to watch the things that they've been able to do that were really just their passions. It's awesome. Please listen to this incredible woman, those of you that are building a business in the sharing of equity. I have friends that sold businesses where they kept it all, and I have friends who shared. And I will tell you the difference in their bliss and happiness and fulfillment level five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road is so infinitely different because I relate to what you said. I, you know, you and I are fortunate enough now that we now sort of are around people that also have a couple bucks from time to time. Whereas when we were doing these things, we did not And so many of my friends are like, so yeah, you've been to so-and-so restaurant in Paris. Right. And I'm like, no, I've, I've not been there. Well, you, the Monte Carlo, blah, blah, blah hotel. You've uh, clearly been there on your global express. Cause you've got the jet, you can go there and no, no, I haven't been there either. No, because for the better part of my life, I was in the same seat in the same place. And I can tell everybody now looking back, I don't feel like I missed out on something. Yeah. I'm not saying that during those times I didn't sometimes when I'd see posts or people doing things or mm-hmm. But I now on the other side of it, which is, by the way, guys, that's why you have to win. If you're going to sacrifice so much, win. So the end of the story is a good one. We don't want you to sacrifice, 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 and then lose. Right? right. So there's got to be this part of you that's got this will to win. Yes. So there's, Cindy, one thing you underestimate about you is, and I know everyone you are, you, you, there's probably people that if we took them out of your company, you this doesn't happen. But mm. there's also the the stoic, quiet will of this woman, of this leader in many different moments. And I know you have humility, but at least admit that to my audience, please, that you had this will, this depth of will that is special. You know, you do. And all great entrepreneurs do. True. Well, absolutely. I, and I'll, I'll tell you, we had this one last moment. So, you know, when I fought the FDA, it like forced them to have all these public meetings and to actually very publicly discuss this issue with, with women and with uh, scientists. And in the, we had a very last meeting where they invited in all these experts from the country who had to vote basically on our data. Would you approve it or not approve it? It was just their recommendation. So most important like game of our life, our Super Bowl, right? We've done so many hours of prep to go in because it's like being at the Supreme Court. It's not the Supreme Court, it's at the FDA, but literally you're in the room being quizzed. They get to ask you questions. The public gets to speak, unbelievable. 
And the night before we go, I threw a victory party. And my, the chairman of my board was like, what? What's happening? Everybody needs to be in bed, go to bed. Like get, get prepared, it's the biggest moment of our life. And I looked at him and I said, we are walking in tomorrow as champions. Win or lose, we have done everything we can inside our control. We will walk in as champions. And I gotta tell you, my team walked in as champions and we won the day. I love it, I love it, I love it. You, you fire me up, you fire <laughs> me up. Okay, uh, I, we're, we're out of time. All right, I, gotta, oh, I, wanna do, I wanna do one, but before the show, just so you know guys off camera, like we'll probably do two of these and we will. I already know when people are listening to this that they're gonna go, please have her back. And so we definitely will, but I'm gonna give you a basic, first off, cause I'm gonna let you finish and I'll, and I'll send this out when you're done. But first off, I wanna say thank you to you. Thank uh, you're important. You're important for a lot of reasons. One, I'm, I'm a man, right? And you know, you would think that your role is that you're this example to women in business and we need you. We need more of these unbelievable women leaders in business to be willing to share their ideas and their thoughts because a lot of the guys do, but not enough of the ladies have done that. So you're, you're so important in our culture, I believe, as an example. I can't wait for Bella, my daughter, to watch this conversation. I've told her all about you, obviously, but I also, you've been important to me. I've learned a lot from you and you've inspired me. You've made me think through some of the ways I handle some of the businesses that I'm in. And you know this, you and I are around everybody. There's not often that that type of impact is made on me. So I want to thank you personally. Oh, and, and that's why I had you today. You know, everyone doesn't know this, but I'm ill. We were going to do this in person. She's like, let's delay. I go, no, we can't delay this. I need to have this conversation with you. So thank you, number one. Well, thank you, Ed. I'm so appreciative, really, for you to have me on and to expose me to your incredible audience. Um, I really, I appreciate it. That's a gift to me. Yeah. I know that your focus is on helping women, but I guess my point is, is that you help everybody. If there is a gaping hole in the entrepreneurial space, it is for we need more women to step forward and have these incredible stories and teach us these lessons. There's just, there's not enough. And by the way, ladies that are listening to this, there is a huge need, a huge space that is waiting for you to emerge, that is waiting for you to contribute in a way that you cannot even imagine could happen if you'll just go do something great and then share with us how you did it. So I want to make sure that I've at least acknowledged that fact. Okay, last thing, easy question, but it's, it's an important one. So I always have this thought in my mind, I get access to somebody like you, but people listening to this are thinking, I'm an entrepreneur right now. I've started, I'm not where I want to be. In fact, I'm, I'm not even where I thought I would be. Okay. I got a little bit of this imposter syndrome that both you and I have had before that you kind of start looking around one day at your office on a Wednesday and you're like, am I kidding myself and everybody here with this whole story I'm telling? We all have had that. Yeah, for sense. sure. What would you say to that person who's like, hey, listen, I need to know what you think I should be thinking or doing if I'm at that stage of my career. And I know that was a long time ago for you, but if you could go back and help, because we've helped entrepreneurs at all levels. So I want to go all the way to that level last. Hopefully yeah. you stuck around to listen or watch at the end. What would you say to that person who says, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm further behind even than I thought I would be. What do I need to change? What do I need to think or do differently? I, I'm going to tell you just as you've set that up, you've gotten into your own head mm -hmm. and you've had this idea that you have to have all of the answers to take the next step, mm -hmm. that you have to have perfectly imagined it. And I'm going to tell you that is a false assumption. You just have to have the courage to take the next step. Just go. 
And I think we can, because of all of those feelings, basically erode our own confidence, right? And confidence, we all talk about the confidence, the swagger that you need in entrepreneurship. I'm going to replace that notion for you right now. Replace confidence with competence. No one knows this stuff better than you. And for that reason alone, you can walk into the room with any room with authority and pitch it and convince people and persuade them. So good. So good. I, I, uh, I'm stealing that from you, just so you know. <laughs> I, 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 I just believe if you're, I agree with you. If you're great at something, good things are going to happen long-term. Yeah. If you're just great at, you're the best, which I think you are. I just yeah. think you're remarkable. I know I've said that probably 50 times during the conversation, but I just, I'm very grateful that you exist. I'm grateful that, cause you don't need to do it. Very similar like me. You don't need to be out here. You don't need to be teaching this. You could be sitting on some beach somewhere with your fiance and just counting your cheddar, but you're <laughs> out there, you're out there helping other people accumulate, you know, great things in their life. And so I you're, um, so. I got to tell you, Ed, when I got to the, you know, the billion dollar club, um, as a, 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 you know, a female entrepreneur getting to sell our company for a, a billion dollars, that should not be a lonely club. And, uh, and so I so appreciate your comments. It doesn't make any sense and nothing fires me up more than the multiplier effect. Like how do I create? Yes, I've gotten to, um, you know, a billion dollar exit for myself. I really hope I'll build a billion dollars worth of wealth for women. I love it. Oh, you're going to, you're going to. I, uh, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be a leader for all these women that are going to do this. So Cindy Eckert, thank you for today. So, so feel better. (laughs) I feel so good after this conversation. Bad by the way, people, (laughs) all of this medication that I'm on and I just needed to talk to you for an hour and I'm like ready (laughs) to run through a wall. I also can't wait to listen to this back. And honestly, I'm going to listen to this before it comes out because I got some things I want to write down because we went through so many things. So thank you. Guys, follow Cindy all over social media. You'll find her. And then uh, in my case, share the show. If you're listening to the audio, go to YouTube, subscribe to the video. If you're watching the video, go to Spotify or Stitcher or iTunes or one of these places and subscribe to the audio as well. Okay, God bless you all and Max out. This is the Ed Milet Show.